Thank you for joining us on Radio Free Georgia's In Tune to Nature program. I'm host Carrie Freeman coming to you from Atlanta in September of 2020. And today we're gonna to be talking about protecting America's national wildlife refuges from industrial activities like mining and oil and gas drilling. Even though they're supposed to be protected public lands, current threats exist for the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge up in Alaska, but also for the Okefenokee Swamp down here in Georgia where I live. To tell us how to defend the ecological integrity of these public lands and their wildlife inhabitants is our guest, George Nickus from Wilderness Watch. Let me tell you a little bit about the organization and him. Founded in 1989, Wilderness Watch is the leading national organization in the USA whose sole focus is the preservation and proper stewardship of lands and rivers included in the National Wilderness Preservation System. Com Congress established this wilderness system in 1964, quote, to assure that an increasing population accompanied by expanding settle settlement and growing mechanization does not occupy and modify all areas within the United States, unquote. Wilderness Watch grew out of the concern that while much emphasis was being placed on adding new areas to these systems, the conditions of existing wilderness and rivers were largely being ignored. The organization believes that the stewardship of these remarkable wild places must be assured through independent citizen oversight, education, and the continual monitoring of federal management activities, something they are committed to. Their website is wildernesswatch.org. Today's guest is the group's executive director, George Nickus. George joined Wilderness Watch as the policy coordinator in 1996. Previously, George served 11 years as the national resource specialist and assistant coordinator for the Utah Wilderness Association. He earned a bachelor's degree in wildlands recreation management from Utah State University. George is regularly invited to make presentations at national wilderness conferences, agency training sessions, and other meetings for wilderness protection where wilderness protection is discussed. He resides in Missoula, Montana, where he is calling us via Zoom today. Welcome, George. Ah, well, thank you so much for having me. I look forward to uh, visiting with you and, um, and speaking with your listeners. Yeah, I wanted to find out first, what got you interested in dedicating your career to wilderness protection? Because you must have known even in college, since you majored in the forestry area, that you wanted to do this. Well, long story short, I, I grew up uh, in a small town in southeastern Utah. And when I walked out my back door, I was essentially on public lands administered by the Bureau of Land Management. So I spent a lot of time as a kid out on public lands wandering around. And on my mother's side of the family, um, my grandfather was a rancher. So we spent a lot of time up on the mountain in the summer uh, and out at the, the farm in the winter. And so I just spent a lot of time in outdoors and I really loved it. And I, uh, you know, wilderness is something that I don't even remember when I first learned. Uh, and but I did as I as I began to travel around, as I got a little older, vehicle and could go out and look around and yeah. saw what was happening to public lands, and saw these wild places starting to get developed. They were getting logged, or they were getting drilled, they were getting road. Voted, it just didn't sit very well with me. And so I 
became a public land activist, I guess, and started fighting to uh, protect these places. And uh, I went when I went to college, that was my goal, was to get into a field where I could work to protect wild places. And um, so I focused a lot on wilderness and wildlands and learned what I could about forestry and range science and wildlife management and all those other things. Uh, but I always wanted to just be, to be an activist and try to protect these places. And actually what got me interested in having a show on wildlife refuges was because I saw my neighbor Susan on my porch last week and she was excited to read in a Georgia Conservancy newsletter that there was now an Okefenokee Protection Alliance. And she and some of my other neighbors have kayaked in the Okefenokee Swamp in South Georgia and they really love it. Although I'm not brave enough to get in the water <laughs> there on my visits. Okefenokee, I stay on the boardwalks and leave the water for the alligators, snakes, fish, and turtles. But that blackwater wetland is definitely a unique and beautiful ecosystem. And I was learning that there's a 2,000 acre titanium mine that's proposed to open right on the edge of the swamp, potentially affecting the wetland and the St. Mary's River. And that prompted a group of environmental organizations to form the Okefenokee Protection Alliance. And I saw Wildlife Watch was in the Alliance, and that's what instigated me to contact you as a guest. Tell us about the issue with the proposed mining operation in Okefenokee. Um, sure, and uh, just as a little bit of background, um, the Okefenokee National Wildlife Refuge is, uh, you know, nearly 400,000 acres in size, and 90% uh, of it has been designated as wilderness by Congress. Uh, so it's part of the National Wilderness Preservation System, and Okefenokee is actually the second largest wilderness east of the Mississippi River, uh, the largest being the, the Everglades. So it's a really important place, and, and by the way, I should mention that today is the 56th anniversary of the Wilderness Act, which was signed on oh, wow. September 3rd in 1964. Um, so it's a, it's, yeah. a, it's a, great day to yeah we just happened to, to have this, uh, this yeah and so and so about 90 percent of Okefenokee National Wildlife Refuge is designated wilderness uh which which means it has not only the protection uh that an area should be afforded being a wildlife refuge but the added protection of being designated wilderness uh unfortunately that doesn't guarantee though that it will be preserved forever. And in this case, uh, what's got, what we have is a, a company, Twin, Met, uh, uh, Twin Pines Minerals, uh, which has proposed to open a basically a titanium strip mine right on the edge of uh, the Okefenokee. And that threatens uh, not only uh, pollution of the waters in, in the uh, refuge, but changing the hydrology so that um, you know it could begin to dry out the refuge. It could have all kinds of other impacts uh, directly on the refuge, as well as the impacts of having a, a large-scale mining operation right on the edge of it. So, um, so that's, that's what, what I was going to ask you about because some people might say, "Well, okay, it's not exactly inside the park; it's right on the lower southeast border of the park. Like it might technically be in Florida, South Georgia, there in a mineral-rich strip." But is it that um, 
like the wildlife migrate and they'll be disturbed or they might even be potentially poisoned by the toxins. And you mentioned some of, it could change the water, the, maybe the flow of water in the area or something. Right. It, it could, it could significantly change the hydrology in the area. And because it's, it's essentially a, a, a deep trench that would be dug uh, like a strip mine in order to extract the minerals that they're after. Um, and <clears throat> it's interesting to point out that back in the 1990s, there was a similar proposal uh, by the DuPont company, which uh, was proposing a strip mine uh, along the, all of this is happening along the eastern boundary of Okefenokee. And, and DuPont's uh, mine was, they had something like, I don't, I want to say something on the order of 30,000 acres that they were proposing to mine. And um, as a result of a huge public outcry, uh, DuPont decided that they would just sell out basically and walk away in a consortium of environmental interests and others, land conservancies, uh, ended up, uh, you know, finding the money to buy DuPont out. And wow. so that northern uh, part of the of that eastern side of the refuge is is kind of safe from titanium mine, mining, but now, uh, as I mentioned, Twin Pines Minerals comes in along the southern edge there and proposes basically the same thing. And what they did is they they actually proposed a much larger mine um, of, of something around twelve thousand acres, and um, of course, that generated a, a, a heck of a public outcry as well. And even the Army Corps of Engineers was saying, well, geez, if you're going to propose something like this, you know, we're going to, we're going to have to start an environmental impact statement and the like. So what Twin, uh, Twin Pines has done is they said, well, actually, we're just going to propose a thousand acre mine, roughly a thousand acre mine uh, on the very southeast corner and this is going to be a pilot project, so we want you to approve this. And it's an attempt to try to avoid having uh, an environmental impact statement look at what the long-term implications of, of approving a titanium mine on the edge of the refuge would be, and instead try to do it in a piecemeal fashion so ah. that they could start with one small part and then of course, they'll come back and want to expand it. And each time, they'll just want the Corps of Engineers and other regula regulatory agencies to just look at, look at it a piece at a time, a piece at a time, a piece at a time. I'm um, glad you guys are at the Okefenokee Protection Alliance are kind of wise to this game. <laughs> what are the next steps in stopping the mining operation at the edge of the Okefenokee? Well, so where we are now is, is, the, is the Army Corps of Engineers sent out basically what you would call a scoping notice uh, to the public saying we have this application in front of us uh, and what are the issues you're concerned about? What should we be looking at? And, and, and so there was this public comment period and they received over 40,000 comments wow. uh, from the public uh, in opposition to the mine and uh, in, in opposition to the application. So now we're at the stage where the Corps 
takes those comments, looks at the application, and decides what level of environmental analysis it's going to do. Whether it's going to do an environmental assessment, which is a very abbreviated form of an environmental uh, review, or if they start an environmental impact statement, which is what uh, all the organizations that are that are fighting against this mine are, are suggesting they need to do. And I think the law uh, is clearly on our side that they need to do an environmental impact statement and not just look at this uh, incremental proposal now that Twin Pines has put forth, but instead look at the the you know the 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 what it would mean for um, the whole mining project to go forward, which would be something like I said, twelve thousand acres or something. Uh, along the eastern side of it. So so we're kind of in the waiting game, waiting for the Army Corps of uh, Engineers to decide. Um, uh, and I know there's an action, I, there's a do. website called protectokefinoki.org, protectokefinoki.org, and they, there's like an action item there too about writing Governor Kemp and some other things that people can do uh, now in terms of, um, you know, supporting supporting the swamp. If you're just joining us on Radio Free Georgia, this is In Tune to Nature, and I'm host Carrie Freeman, interviewing George Nickus, Executive Director at Wilderness Watch. The website is wildernesswatch.org. We're talking about the need to defend America's national wildlife refuges from threats of industrial mining and oil and gas drilling. George, we're gonna jump from the south to the north here in our discussion of refuges from Georgia to Alaska. It seems like for so many years now, there've been threats of drilling in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge in Alaska. And recently the Trump administration seems like they're getting closer to opening up this protected wildlife ecosystem to oil and gas drilling. Can you tell us the latest in this ongoing struggle? Yeah, um, so that's right. Um, the, the uh, uh, the, the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge is the largest national wildlife refuge at approximately 20 million acres. And when it was expanded back in 1980 from the original uh, 8 million acre uh, Arctic National Wildlife Range, uh, Congress designated the original range all as wilderness except for an area on the coastal plain. Oh. Uh, and that's an area of about 1.6 or 1.7 million acres. And um, they left the coastal plain out of the wilderness. It's still part of the refuge. Uh, and the reason they left it out is because the oil and gas industry lobby was able to uh, convince them to not designate it as wilderness and to leave it available for oil and gas development. Now, the law said that Congress would have to approve any oil and gas development. And as you can imagine, the, the uh, oil and gas industry and the, and the uh, Alaska congressional delegation have been working ever since then to get it opened, and they've never been able to. Uh, Congress has always rejected efforts to open it. But uh, when the uh, 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 Trump uh, tax bill went through, and I, I can't ever remember the full long name of that, but the legislation that... Uh, uh, passed the, the tax cuts a couple of years ago, went through. There was a provision in there. It was a, what we call riders, basically, yeah. and a provision in there that 
uh, instructed um, the Bureau of Land Management, which handles mineral leasing in the country, to um, open the Arctic Refuge to leasing and to issue leases to the oil and gas industry to drill. Hmm. The coastal plain, um, for, and I'm, you know, I, I, I'm sure some of your readers have heard about it, but I have to say something about the refuge, which is really an iconic place as wildlands preservation, and not just in the United States, but in the whole world goes. Um, it truly is the best of the best of wow. what we have left of our wildlands. And the coastal plain is usually referred to as the beating heart of the refuge. The, the local, the Gwich'in the community uh, calls it the place where life begins. That's uh, their name for, for that place. And it's where uh, the porcupine caribou herd of over 200,000 uh, caribou uh, go in the spring to give birth. That's their calving area. And all of the activity and, and millions of, uh, of, of waterfowl and shorebirds go up there every spring and summer uh, to nest and, you know, bring on the next generation of, of wildlife and all of the other life that follows the caribou to the coastal plain, the grizzly bears, the wolves, uh, many, many other species. Um, they all go to this coastal plain, which is just such a rich rich place, often called the America's Serengeti. And now it's being proposed to be turned into an oil field. And so where we are now is the Bureau of Land Management, just in the last week or so, um, actually the Secretary of Interior signed the decision to uh, begin issuing leases in the coastal plain. So a, 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 a coalition of organizations has filed a lawsuit um, uh, there's a there's a nonprofit law firm in Alaska called Trustees for Alaska, which which is just doing the stalwart work on behalf of the coalition to fight this proposal, um, and um, and basically we're in court trying to stop uh, the uh, Trump administration from opening the coastal plain to leasing and challenging the environmental impact statement they did because it's just so woefully inadequate. It was rushed. They didn't consider the impacts to many things. Um, particularly polar bears uh, are, a, are a really big concern on the coastal plain as well. But just all of the environmental impacts that will ensue from this, they're in a rush to hurry up and get it done uh, while the Trump administration is still in office. And so we're in court and we're hopeful that we can get it uh, uh, held off. And ultimately though, what has to happen is the provision in the tax act that opened the coastal plain to oil and gas development needs to be repealed. Okay. And that's gonna require a new Congress and, and likely a new administration to boot to make happen. Uh, in the meantime, we're going to fight it tooth and nail at the administrative level and at the, uh, in the courts uh, in order to try to prevent it from happening. I'm definitely glad to hear that. And just with a, a minute left or something, I, I was just listening to an NPR story the other day about indigenous communities who live in that Arctic wildlife refuge, and you were just mentioning them before, and I know that some of the people in the tribe feel differently. Some people want the right to drill and they want the freedom to do that without the federal government 
telling them what they can and can't do. And then other people see it as another form of colonial interference to have oil companies there. And, and personally, I support the right to decision making on the use of their native lands. But also, I hope that they'll vote not to bring in corporate entities who will start extracting and drilling. But um, how does your group, Wilderness Watch, engage with the indigenous groups as stakeholders in the Alaska wilderness governance? Sure. The, the, and, and I mentioned the Gwich'in. Yeah. The Gwich'in Steering Committee is actually part of our litigation. That's great. Um, fighting it. But, but there is also, uh, the, uh, there's another uh, group, tribal group, um, based, that live in Kektovik, which is up on the coast. And um, in and, and, and Kektovik, people that live in Kaktovik have worked in the, oil, in the oil fields up in Prudhoe Bay. And so they've gotten accustomed to some of the money and all that wow. goes with that. And so it's, it's the folks in Kaktovik, you know, and of course, tri tribal groups are like any society. Some are pro, some are con. Right. There's diversity the, of opinions. Right. The pro, the, the pro development uh, group as far as tribes go are some of the folks in Kaktovik. Um, of course, they won't be doing the development, um, but they'll be, they, you know, their hope is they'll get some of the jobs right. and, and some of the, and some of the revenue perhaps uh, through from the state, et cetera, that the state will get um, to, to do what they want in their communities. So it's not, it's not a monolithic uh, a group and a, and a unanimous opinion about it, but the Gwich'in, which stretch uh, through much of the refuge in east into Canada, uh, and they're the ones that, that are dependent on the on the porcupine caribou. They're the caribou right. people, and they are they're, they have they have always fought this development, and uh, um, we're on their side in this. Well, we're running out of time here, George, but if listeners are interested in getting involved with protecting wildlife refuges, uh, the ones we've mentioned, or maybe wildlife refuges in their region, what would you recommend in terms of a resource or how to get involved? Well, I would, I would encourage them to uh, get involved with, with our organization, Wilderness Watch. Um, we, we, we focus primarily on, the, on wilderness lands that are within these refuges. Um, there's also an organization, National Wildlife Refuge Association, which, which works to protect wildlife refuges around the country. Uh, give them a look. And, um, and just, you know, especially if you have a refuge nearby, get to know the people who are there, get to know the issues that are going on, and, and be an activist. We have on our, on our website, uh, which you mentioned earlier, wildernesswatch.org, some ideas about how you can get involved in public land issues if you're interested. And so you can find that on our website. And uh, I just encourage people to get involved because it really does take citizen vigilance to make sure that whether it's a refuge or a national park or wilderness area, whatever, to make sure that they're preserved forever. I like that advice. And I want to also mention again, protectokefinoki.org, which is the Okefenokee Protection Alliance is another resource for some of our listeners who are here in Georgia. Excellent. Well, that's the end of our show, but I want to thank you, George, for being with us on Radio Free Georgia's In Tune to Nature program. Keep up the good work that you do at Wilderness Watch in fighting to defend our national wildlife refuges and parks and holding the government accountable for the maintenance and survival of these wild public lands. 
Well, thank you so much, Carrie, for the opportunity to be on your program and uh, to speak to your listeners. Yeah, take care. Thanks. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to In Tune to Nature, broadcasting every Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time, online at wrfg.org and on Atlanta radio station 89.3 FM. We post action items, news, and podcasts on the show's website, facebook.com slash Nature. The views and opinions expressed on the show do not necessarily reflect those of WRFG, its board, staff, or volunteers. And I am one of those volunteers. I'm host Carrie Freeman asking you to please support independent, non-commercial media like Radio Free Georgia. And remember to take, to take care of yourself and others, including other species, such as the free-roaming animals all around us. It would certainly be great if we coexisted in such a way that they didn't need a refuge from us. Thank you for listening.